0: Amen. Thank you, Erica. Thank you, Faith and Caitlin. Uh, great job. Great thoughts. Good, good songs. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. Music is a powerful influencer. It's a powerful influencer for good or a powerful fuel to our flesh. And I uh, appreciate the kind of songs they sang tonight. And um, stir my heart. We've got a great Savior. Matthew chapter 13. appreciate Brother Josh filling in for me last Sunday night so I could get a little energy and voice back from uh, my trip to Nicaragua. Uh, I mean this when I say your prayers for me and my family. They make a big difference. And um, I just really appreciate how y'all prayed for me while I was away. It means a lot. Uh, We've spent the last few Sunday evenings talking about practical applications of Bible doctrines and Bible principles. Two weeks ago when I spoke last on a Sunday night, we talked about the legalism of the New Testament and how it differs from how that word is tossed around so flippantly today. We saw that legalism in the New Testament is always something distinctly Jewish, Sabbath, circumcision, Jewish diet, holy days, as a qualification to get saved or stay saved. And because of the way the New Testament is, previous generations called those people Judaizers rather than legalists. And though there is legalism today, it has nothing to do with pants or skirts or ties or skinny jeans. It has everything to do with uh, adding baptism or the sacraments to faith in Christ to be saved. It has everything to do with requiring good works and faithfulness to stay saved. We also saw in the New Testament that uh, it is not legalism when believers have a different or a higher standard of application to a biblical command. Uh, Anyone who tries uh, to obey a biblical command has an arbitrary line that they've drawn to obey. And we have no right to ignore a biblical command. Uh, Each believer, each church, each organization has a liberty to draw their lines. Uh, But no one has the liberty to ignore a biblical command. And we closed seeing that how uh, some arbitrary lines are weaker than others. We closed admonishing one another to be sure we don't hate those who have drawn those lines lower than we have, nor harshly judge those who have drawn them higher. I hope by the time we finish two weeks ago, uh, we all clearly just understand that Uh, What's going on today under the banner of legalism has little to do with the New Testament and much to do with ignorance of biblical commands and pride in both directions. Tonight I'm going to go off script a little bit. I do want to uh, shortly spend several weeks talking about leading and following from a biblical perspective, but I don't want to start that tonight. I'd rather... Start that the Sunday after Labor Day weekend. Tonight I have uh, something else spinning around uh, in my heart and in my uh, mind. I want to talk for a little while about what we see. You ever notice that two people can look at the same thing and bring back very different reports about what they saw? It happens all the time in the Lord's work. Two people see and hear the same exact thing and they each walk away with a completely different take on what happened. Have you ever noticed that our background, our mood, our maturity, our gifts, and who and what we know about the situation, they taint what we think we saw and think we heard? In fact, people's worldview taints everything we see and perceive about a situation. Some people see racism in nearly every conflict between two people with different amounts of melanin in their skin. Some people see persecution in nearly every negative thing that happens to a Christian. Some people see politics in every disagreement about the government. Some people see management versus labor and taking advantage of labor in every situation in the workplace. And if you and I aren't more careful, and if we don't recognize how our vision can be tainted, we're going to fall into this trap of not seeing what we should see in situations and in people. And when we do not see what we should be seeing, it is impossible to understand the world around us and properly interpret our life experiences. And so if you're able to stand, if you would stand tonight in honor of the Word of God, The title of my thought tonight is Seeing Things as They Really Are. Seeing things as they really are. In fact, not only am I going off script tonight with the subject, um, the kind of teaching method I want to use tonight is a little bit different than I might normally do, but my hope and prayer in the end is that everyone will walk away with a couple of, of very clear thoughts that I think will be helpful. Matthew chapter 13 beginning in verse 13. It says, therefore speak I to them in parables because they seeing see not and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Esaias which saith by hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross and their ears are dull of hearing. And their eyes, they have closed. By the way, I've got that phrase underlined in my Bible with the word they double underlined. Their eyes, they have closed. Notice what happens when they close their eyes, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. When they close their eyes, they will not hear They will not understand because they close their eyes. Verse 16, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Thank you, You might be seated. We see in verse 13 that the purpose for some of Christ's parables was for him to teach his disciples truths that other people were not really ready yet to hear. Verse 13, he says, therefore speak I unto them, that's unto the Jews who are not saved because they seeing, see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. In fact, the Messiah teaching in a manner that would not be seen and understood by everyone, that actually was a fulfillment of a prophecy in the book of Isaiah, and that's what he says in verse 14. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. and remember, that's just a Greek spelling of the Hebrew name, Isaiah, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Esaias, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. Uh, I do believe Jesus intended what he taught to be understood. I do not believe that Jesus always taught everything in the simplest manner to be understood. If Jesus taught everything in the simplest manner to be understood, there would be no disagreement over what he taught. And though he did teach to be understood, he taught in a manner that if you wanted to see, and you wanted to hear, and you wanted to understand, and you wanted to change, you would understand. But he also taught in a manner that if you did not want to see and you did not really want to hear and you did not want to understand from your heart because you really didn't want to change, you didn't understand what he said. That's how he taught. We see then that, as I mentioned earlier, some of the people had closed their eyes, they closed them, and as a product of them choosing to close their eyes, They therefore could not hear, right? Their ears were dull of hearing. Their heart waxed gross, which just means thick. And they did not get healed. They didn't understand. They were not saved. Some closed their eyes, which closed their ears and closed their heart. But others did the opposite. In verse 16, like his disciples, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Now, both from the scripture and from practical experience, I think it's clear that some people hear, but they're not really listening. And because they hear, but they don't really listen, God's word never enters their heart. I think it's also pretty clear that some people have their eyes open, but they don't really want to see. And when you don't really want to see, the word does not enter their heart and has no effect on them. Listen, if you've been around a biblical church for any length of time where they preach and teach the Bible, you have at some point in your life been amazed that someone could sit and hear and see the same things you heard and saw and literally walk away with nothing. And it all boils down to, does someone really want to see? I have good news for you tonight any believer who's really open to hearing and seeing what Jesus Christ has to say, who wants to know the truth, who wants to let it affect their life, they will be able to see and to hear it. But people don't want that. Because if we open our eyes to actually pay attention to what we're seeing and hearing, it puts us in the valley of decision. And when we're in the valley of decision, then we have to choose. Will I respond, will I yield to what uh, has been taught from the Word of God, or will I do something else? That's why people don't want to see. By the way, I hope tonight you're someone who's open to hearing and seeing the truth. There's a good chance that's true you're here on a Sunday night. In fact, I would plead with you, please do not be someone who looks for a reason that makes sense to you to close your eyes. People always have a reason that makes sense to them for closing their eyes. And when they close their eyes to truth, their ears do not hear and their heart does not understand and God's word does not enter their heart. By the way, what Jesus said that day about those who heard him, uh, that's not a very positive thing. I would hate for Jesus to describe me as someone who closed my eyes to what he had to say and what he was doing. In fact, if you're someone like that, I hope you'll repent. Now, when we take this truth that Jesus teaches here, there are a lot of ways we could apply this and make it practical to us. I have a a particular practical application I would like to make, and tonight the application I'd like to make is I would like for all of us tonight to see both God and Satan at work in every significant event of our life. Both God and Satan at work in every significant event of our life. I'm not gonna, not talking about seeing God and Satan when you burn the toast. I'm not talking about seeing God or, or Satan when you stub your toe. I'm not talking about seeing God or Satan when you have a sniffle. I'm talking about every significant event that happens in our life as a child of God. There are literally two distinct forces at work, two different distinct plans, two different distinct perspectives, and how you and I open our eyes to what happens in our life that's significant is going to determine who we see. I believe we'd have more faith in God and understand our world better if we open our eyes like this. I believe we'd have more encouragement when discouraging events happen, if we'd open our eyes like this. I believe we would not fall into as many of Satan's snares every time we have some sort of a victory if we'd open our eyes like this. God and Satan are at work in every significant event in our lives, both good events and bad events. God and Satan are at work in our failures. God has a plan. Satan has a plan. Satan is at work in good events, just like God is at work in good events. Satan has a plan and God has a plan. And what I want to do tonight, and I know it's a a little bit of an unusual teaching method for a Sunday night, maybe a little bit more of a Wednesday night teaching method. But what I want to do is I want to go back and look at the significant events in the life of Joseph. And I want us to see how God is working in those events and how Satan is working in those events. And what I want to do when we finish looking at the life of Joseph, I want to just have us look at our own events so that we see what's really going on, to have eyes to see. And so let's go back together to Genesis 50, if you would please, to the days that shortly follow the death of Jacob. Jacob was Joseph's dad. Joseph was the 11th of 12 sons of Jacob. Jacob was uh, an older guy when he was a parent. And by the time of this particular text in Genesis chapter 50, Joseph is about 56. And by the time this takes place, Joseph is 56, and there have been a lot of things that have happened in Joseph's life. There were things that happened in Joseph's life that any human being who looked at them would say, wow, that's a really terrible thing to happen to a human being. There were things that happened in Joseph's life that any reasonable person would look at and say, wow, that's incredible. And what I want us to see tonight is that it wasn't simply just Satan at work and the difficulties of Joseph's life, and it wasn't simply God at work in jo- Joseph's successes and victories. Both had a plan in every event. And it's not just true for Joseph. Again, I'm not talking about, uh, you, you know, the, the microwave you've forgotten you put a fork in it. Wow, I wonder what God's trying to teach me here. Uh, Don't put forks in the microwave. I'm talking about every significant event in our life, there are two great plans and purposes going on behind the scenes. Let's read what happens in Genesis 50 after Jacob died, beginning in verse 15. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us, or certainly requite us all the evil which we did to him. By the way, this is 39 years after they did it. This isn't a week. This is 39 years later, their guilt was still eating them alive. Verse 16, they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, thy father did command before he died, saying, so shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they uh, did unto the evil. Now, they're probably lying. I mean, so they haven't really even completely repented. I mean, I doubt that Jacob had to tell them to tell Joseph to do that. Said, now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake to him. Why? Because they thought his forgiveness for the last 17 years they were under his care in Egypt had been insincere. Well, how does it make you feel when someone doubts your sincerity? So he weeps. Verse 18, his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. Bring it it is as it is this day, To save much people alive. By the way, that phrase in the beginning of verse 20, you want to highlight, underline in your Bible, that is one of the most significant statements in all of Scripture. It is a mountaintop. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. Do you see the dual plan? God meant everything that happened in Joseph's life for good. And Satan, through both Joseph's brothers and others, meant everything that happened in Joseph's life for evil. Did you see that? Same events, two very different purposes. Same events, two very different plans. Two very different perspectives, two very different ways to look at every single thing that happened in Joseph's life. God meant it for good. And Satan, through his brothers and others, meant it for evil. And so, what I'd like to do. We're going to read a little bit more Bible uh, tonight than we might on a Sunday night, though we always read the Bible. This is a little more of a Wednesday night type of a format. But uh, notice, uh, God had a plan in allowing Joseph's brothers to hate him. But so did Satan. Go back to chapter 37. And I'm going to pretend that you're not familiar with the story or barely familiar I think sometimes we make a mistake thinking that everybody sitting in a church pew or chair uh, is familiar with the stories of the Bible. Genesis 37, beginning verse 3, uh, Joseph 17 here says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. When his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him. They could not speak peaceably unto him. Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. He said to them, Here, I pray you, the dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and, lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and, behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. God had a plan in allowing Joseph's brothers to hate him, and Satan had a plan. It wasn't just Satan at work and Joseph's adversity in his own home. Satan's plan was to consume Joseph's brothers with bitterness and anger and hatred. I hope you understand that bitterness and anger and hatred always destroy the vessel in which they are stored far more than they destroy the one on whom they are poured. God's plan was that Joseph and us would learn that doing right and following God didn't always produce acceptance from your family. Listen, Joseph was going to have to learn to walk with God and keep his faith when non-spiritually minded family members didn't like what he was doing. His family was not spiritually minded. They didn't like it. God was teaching him. You're supposed to do right even if they don't agree. Uh, Same thing in Verse 3, in his father's favoritism of Joseph, of Genesis 37. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was a son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And there's a lot of your 17-year-olds, you say, wow, man, God's blessed me. Look at the favoritism I have for my dad. Look at my coat that you don't have. And obviously Jacob had not learned anything from the favoritism that was in his own home And instead of letting that stop with him, he passed it on to his own children. Satan's plan was to consume Joseph's brother's lives with envy. To move them to resent their father. The dad God chose for them. Listen, envy is one of the most destructive and subtle things we allow in our heart and mind. There's a reason the wise man said envy is the rottenness of the bone. It's a reason the wise man said wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? Satan's plan was to destroy a home, to destroy a family, to make loving one another among brethren difficult. God's plan was to give Joseph a double portion of the inheritance in Israel through his sons Manasseh and Ephraim. God's plan was for Joseph to know what it was like to be hated so he could empathize with those who are hated. God has a plan in every significant event in your life. Satan has a plan in every significant event of your life and mine. Notice God had a plan for allowing Joseph to be sold in slavery, but so did Satan. Genesis 37, verse 23. Says these words, says, And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. They sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels, bringing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh, and his brethren were content. Uh, Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers, and God had a plan in that, but so did Satan. Hey, it wasn't just Satan who had a plan in Joseph being sold as a slave. He was a 17-year-old kid. God was at work too. Satan's plan was to consume Joseph's father with grief and sorrow, all of his life. Look at verses 34 and 35. When Jacob learned about Joseph, it says he rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, for I'll go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Listen, Satan wanted Jacob consumed with grief. All of his life was part of his plan. Satan's plan was to consume the brothers' minds and hearts with guilt. We saw their guilt and regret 39 years after it happened. While envy is the rottenness of the bones, regret and guilt are not far behind in taking peace and joy from the people of God. God had a plan. You mean God had a plan in Joseph being sold as a slave? Yeah, to bring Joseph into Egypt to spare Egypt and the surrounding lands from a famine that wouldn't happen for another 13 years. God had a plan to bring Joseph into Egypt to ascend to the right hand of the throne of Egypt to become a picture of Jesus Christ. God had a plan to bring Israel into Egypt because of a prophecy back in Genesis that they would be oppressed for 400 years. God had a plan in all of this. It wasn't just Satan had a plan. God had a plan, and in every significant event of your life and mine, God has a plan and Satan has a plan. God had a plan in Joseph being stalked and falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. But so did Satan. Genesis chapter 39, beginning in verse 5. And it came to pass from that time that he made him overseer in his house over all that he had. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he knew not what ought he had, the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. So I thought God looked on the heart. Well, yeah, God does choose leaders from the heart like he denied Eliab and chose David, but God sees the outside too, duh. Verse seven, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused. By the way, I've got that highlighted in my Bible too. He refused. Sent unto his master's wife, behold, my master wadeth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Well, there's a good phrase too. Verse ten. It came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day. That he hearkened not unto her to lie with her or be bought with her, came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, "Lie with me." He left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, "Ah, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. It came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me, and he fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. Listen, God had a plan in all this, and Satan has a plan. It wasn't just that God had a plan in Joseph being handsome and well-bid. It wasn't just that Satan had a plan in this temptation. Both had a plan. Satan's plan was to bring Joseph down and ruin his testimony among those who knew him. Satan's plan was to destroy Joseph's relationship with God by living a disobedient and immoral life. Satan's plan was to discourage Joseph. Hear me to discourage Joseph and convince him that all of his faithfulness through all of this adversity had been in vain. That was part of Satan's plan. God's plan was to expose Joseph's faith and to bring him to jail for the next part of God's plan for Joseph's life. God's plan was for Joseph to learn that you don't always prosper when you do the right thing, but that doing the right thing has value in and of itself. Every significant event, Joseph's life and our lives, God has a plan. Satan has a plan. God had a plan in allowing Joseph to be forgotten in the jail, but so did Satan. (laughs) Listen, Satan's plan was to discourage Joseph and try to convince him that his faithfulness had been in vain. Joseph, it was a waste for you to live for God. As a teenager, you were sold as a slave. Joseph, it was a waste for you to live for God after you were enslaved by Potiphar. Look what happened to you. Joseph, it was a waste for you to live for God in the jail. That was Satan's plan all along. But God had a plan too. God's plan was that Joseph would be remembered at just the right moment for the promotion God had in mind. And as shocking as it may seem to the American mind in 2023, God had a plan in allowing Joseph to be promoted, but so did Satan. Please don't always see the blessing of God when a door opens for you to make more money. Please don't always see the blessing of God when a door opens for you to take a higher position that wants more of your life. Notice when Joseph's time came in Genesis chapter 41, beginning in verse 39, Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath shewed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thee. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I've set thee over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand. He put it on Joseph's hand. And he arrayed him in vestures of fine linen. He put a gold chain about his neck. He made him to ride the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him to wife Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of An. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. What a great promotion. From the slave to the right hand of the throne. It wasn't, though, that just God had a plan in Joseph's success. And it wasn't just that God had a plan in Joseph's new wealth. And it wasn't just that God had a plan in Joseph's new prominence. Too many people think that every open door is an open door that God gave. Hey, listen, there was an open door to Jonah going away from God's will in his life. Satan had a plan to destroy Joseph through success. He hadn't been able to destroy Joseph through abuse and trials. Satan had a plan to try to destroy Joseph through other gods, the gods of his in-laws. He hadn't been able to get Joseph through the gods of Canaan. Satan had a plan to destroy Joseph through a wife forced upon him who didn't share his faith in Jehovah. God had a plan, though, too. God's plan was to dis- expose Joseph's faith in the true God to the nation of Egypt. Right? Listen, for any of you who are overly concerned about whether people had opportunity about the, to hear about the true God, listen, God makes opportunity. Now, one of them right here over an entire region was a man with great faith in God being promoted to a place of prominence. God's plan was to provide for Jacob and the family of Joseph in a famine that wouldn't even start for seven more years. God's plan was to provide for people in the whole region, people who didn't even know him, but God in his goodness wanted to take care of them in the famine. God's plan was to make an Old Testament picture of Jesus Christ ascending to the throne, the right hand of the throne from obscurity. Hey, please, I don't know what success or victory you're tasting right now. God has a plan in that victory and Satan has a plan in that victory. I don't know what temptation or trial or difficulty you're going through right now. Uh, Satan has a plan in every significant event of our lives. By the way, we could do the same thing if we went through the life of Job and see how God had a plan for everything he allowed in Job's life and how Satan had a plan for everything allowed in Job's life. We could do the same thing for good King Hezekiah who was called the best of all the kings of the southern kingdom of Judah and in his success, God had a plan for his success and Satan had a plan in his success. So okay, Brother Wally, fine, I get it. You read way more Bible than I really wanted to read on a Sunday night. I want us to see that God and Satan are both at work in the events of our world. That's true with Israel, it's true with America, it's true with China, Iran, Russia, any place you want to name that you are worried about. God has a plan. And Satan has a plan. By the way, God's greater. Uh, The second application, God and Satan are both at work in the events of America. Uh, Listen, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to see the deterioration in our culture. Uh, Listen, God is at work in the deterioration of our culture. In case you hadn't noticed this about people, very few people are proactive. Very few people have the foresight to see where something is going to go. And most people, until it punches them in the face and things are really bad, they don't turn toward God. It isn't just that Satan has a plan in the deterioration of our culture. God has a plan too. Here's a third application. God and Satan are both at work in what's going on in American Christianity. That's true of the contemporary version of American Christianity that has pitched historical biblical Christianity out the window and compromised so many different things. God has a plan, and Satan has a plan. By the way, that's true for conservative biblical Christianity. In case you are never aware, listen, there's plenty of issues that go on in conservative biblical Christianity too. God has a plan. Satan has a plan. Maybe we're too worried. Maybe we're too bothered. Maybe all we see is the devil at work. When as people of faith, of all the people who ought to be seen, Whatever God is doing in a situation, it ought to be you and I who have our eyes open. But it isn't just that God and Satan are at work in American Christianity. Both are at work here at Bible Baptist Church. Have you ever stopped to think that everything that happens to you of any significance here, I'm not talking about, Brother Wally didn't say hi to me tonight. I'm not talking about that. Whatever it is that caused you to have your dander up a little bit in a wad, do you realize that God had a purpose in whatever happened and Satan had a purpose? And you and I are either going to see that and respond rightly or we're going to fail to see that and respond wrongly. We need eyes that are open to see. Both are at work in our personal lives in our home. God is at work in the significant events in our personal lives. God is at work in the significant events of our marriage and our parenting. And Satan is at work in every significant event in our marriage, in our home, with our children. And because we fail to see that both are at work in everything that happens, we don't see what's going on, and we don't respond rightly. Do you realize that every adversity in your child's life is God opening a door for you to help them deal with adversity? But instead, you whine, you moan, oh, my, my, nobody's talking to my kid. Nobody talked to me. God has a purpose in every significant event. You had something happen in your marriage? Okay, what's what's God trying to see? What's God trying to get you to see? What's Satan trying to do? If we fail to open our eyes, we're not gonna see what's going on. Uh, Listen, I've been a believer now for 39 years, and I, I can't tell you how many times I watched the faith of some believing person be destroyed by what some pastor did or what some deacon did or what somebody in the church did or what those people in the church did. When in reality, everything that God allowed in your life and mine, by the way, I've had some significant things happen to me in the church. I've had people, thank God it hasn't happened for a while, I've had people threaten to kill my family. Look me in the face and say, you know, I used to not bring women and children involved, but now I am, I'm gonna kill your family. Uh, You're not the only one that has bad things happen. Uh, 16 years ago when we had 20 first-time visitors here. It was baby dedication. And somebody stood in the back up two-thirds of the way through the message and stood up and said, you ruined my family. You ruined my home. You ruined my family. You ruined my marriage. And by that time, Brother Joe and the other Brother Joe, wherever he is, I mean, they had gotten them out there. By the way, most of those people didn't come back. Do you know God had a plan in that? Not just Satan. And you and I, if we close our eyes, all we ever see is what Satan is trying to destroy instead of what God is trying to build. His brothers and others meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Hey, be encouraged tonight. Everything that happens in our lives that has any significance whatsoever, if you and I have our eyes open, can be used for good and for the glory of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Tonight, are your eyes open? Or have you closed them to the fact that both God and Satan are at work in every significant event? If you'd quietly stand.